the Old Testament reading for this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. The song of the vineyard. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one has a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut, down, cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a cop, crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. <clears throat> now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. The epistle lesson is in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 4 through 14. Do I myself have reasons for such confidence? If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The Gospel reading is from the book of Matthew, Chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. And out of the reverence for the gospel, please rise as you are able. The parable of the tenants. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in, and built a watchtower. And he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And he sent other servants to them. 
more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. (coughs) Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid for the crowd, afraid of the crowd because of the people held that he was a fair prophet. In Jesus, you have the grace of God and the peace of God and the love of God. We're going to look at the gospel lesson for this morning. I'd like to read again just the opening words from Matthew chapter 21 of this parable. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may these words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You who are our strength and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's said that confession is good for the soul. And I believe that. And I have something that I have to confess to you. Here's what I need to confess to you. I didn't want to write this sermon. I didn't want to preach on this gospel lesson. When I looked at the lessons Monday morning, I decided I was going to go to my barrel, my barrel of old sermons, and share with you a message that I had shared someplace else, but hadn't shared with you yet. I just wasn't going to preach on this gospel lesson. I didn't want to deal with it. Now, not to try to wriggle out of it, maybe to garner a little bit of your sympathy or empathy. Put yourself in my shoes. You heard the gospel lesson. Would you want to preach on that? How would you explain that and help apply it to people's lives. What would you say? So on Monday, as I was looking for these lessons and and coming to the conclusion I was going to use an old sermon, I came across one that I thought would work. I just would need to revise it a little bit, and I could make it fit the New Testament lesson for today, and Paul, and, and actually came up with a theme of, what are you smiling about? What are you smiling for? That was Monday. So uh, Tuesday morning, I got up and I went for my run. And I usually go for a a run in the mornings. And then Karen starts walking behind me. And after I finish my run, we meet up and we walk back home. And that jogging time, I shouldn't call it running. 
not with a guy my age, it's jogging, <laughs> is my prayer time. And I pray about the message for the, the coming weekend. So as I was praying about the message, uh, uh, well, God wasn't going to let it go. He kept coming back to the gospel lesson that I was supposed to preach on the gospel lesson. But Tuesday morning, after I finished my run, I emailed Julie with a text from Ecclesiastes and the theme, what are you smiling for? Which brings us to Wednesday morning. So I'm huffing my puffing my way along County Road 4 on my morning jog and prayer time, and I finally gave in. The Lord just kept coming back to me with the gospel. He even gave me a theme. Yours or mine? And so after the run, I emailed Julie and I said, make a change in the service. And the theme now is yours or mine, or his, I should say, yours or his, and the text, the one I just read to you. And I guess, uh, I guess the preacher needed to embrace the question of today's gospel lesson before he could preach on it to anybody else. And that's always the case. Dave, is this message yours? Or is it his? Is it God's? That's the teaching point of this parable, isn't it? Look again at how it begins. There's, there's this landowner, and he's got a piece of land, and he plants a vineyard in it, and he puts a wall around it, and he puts the, all the equipment that's needed to make this a successful business venture, and then he rents it out. The key word being he rented it out. He didn't sell it. He rented it. They didn't buy it. They rented it. He retained ownership of the vineyard. And yet there came a point in time, for whatever reason and for whatever way they were thinking, that the renters began to feel as though what was his was theirs. Not only did they begin to think that way, they began to act that way. That's the only reasonable explanation for what they proceeded to do. When the harvest time approached, he, the owner, sent his servants to the tenant to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Now are you beginning to appreciate why I didn't want to preach on this lesson? Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. They were determined, weren't they, to take what was his and make it theirs by hook or by crook, as they say. There's no other way to explain their actions. They crossed the line, didn't they? So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard. This is the owner's son. Threw him out of the vineyard 
and killed him. Jesus continues the parable by asking this question, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those servants? Now, I'm going to follow up that hard question of Jesus with one of my own. And, and actually, no, this is not my question. This is the Lord's question. This is the question he gave me to ask you this morning as I share this message. Here's the question. Where and how have you crossed the fine line of thinking and believing and acting as though something that was God's is yours? That could be almost anything. Could be your home. Could be your business. Could be your money. Could be your marriage. It could be your body. It could be your church. It could be anything where we begin to think and to act like it is ours, even though it is his. But isn't everything his? These aren't my words. These are his words. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Haggai 2, verse 8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, just in case you think I'm hung up on the Old Testament. Now here's New Testament. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? It's all his. It's all his, isn't it? Have you figured out the place in your life where you've crossed over the line and thought it was yours? That question brings me to one more reason as to why I, I really didn't want to preach on this parable. Where's the gospel in this parable? I mean, I think now you're each one seeing where... I'll draw this comparison. Whatever it is that you're taking a picture of, it's a selfie. It's, it's not God's. 
It's yours. That's not right, is it? That's wrong, isn't it? That's a sin, isn't it? Which brings me back to this question as to why I really didn't want to preach on this. Where's the gospel? I mean, Jesus, as he goes on to the parable, goes on to this parable, says, Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those servants? And the people listening to the parable, as Jesus taught it, said this. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. Again, where's the gospel in that? It's in the one telling the parable. It's there in person. The gospel is Jesus, the one telling the parable. This is Tuesday of Holy Week. He is three days away from dying on the cross. He is three days away from this parable becoming the reality of his life that those who think they own the vineyard, the kingdom of God, take the owner's son and throw him out of the vineyard and kill him. The gospel is in the one who is speaking to us. For everything we've taken from him and for every time that we have acted as though what was his is ours and lived as though it was ours for, for each of those moments, for all of those moments, it is Jesus who took what is ours and made it his. Isaiah chapter 53 in my opinion, still most powerfully expresses this gospel truth. The exchange of Jesus taking what is ours and making it his. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. That sounds a lot like the wretched end spoken of in Jesus' parable, doesn't it? Back to Isaiah. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the gospel. It's God saying to us that in Jesus we can take what is his, his righteousness, and it is given to us and becomes ours. We can take his perfect life and claim it as our own.
Jesus' righteousness, what was his, is now yours. That's the great exchange. It took place a few moments ago in baptism for Barrett, the great exchange, the washing and the giving of the righteousness of Jesus to that little boy. That exchange has happened for us all, which means you and I are forgiven. Which leads to a few more words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's all about our response to this. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, as though they own it all, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, not to disobey the Lord, not to disrespect the Lord and what he told me this week. But do you, do you remember what I wanted to preach on? What you smiling for? What you smiling about? Well, I think I can somehow tie that message now into this particular message to give us a way to respond to God's grace and forgiveness in Jesus for, for taking what was his and thinking it's ours. That nothing will make us happier, nothing will put more of a smile on our face than to live for him than to take what is his, which he has placed under our management, and use it to serve him, to tell others about Jesus, to share the love of Jesus first and foremost, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your money, whether it's your business, whether it's your home, whether it's your body. Whatever it is, that is his, that he's given to you to use. Use it in a way that brings him honor and brings him glory. It's a little bit like what Paul said, I think, in today's New Testament lesson, where he is pressing on for what Jesus Christ took hold of him for. What did Jesus take hold of you for? That you might live for him. Or as Paul wrote to the church in Colossians, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God the Father, through him. Now, not only, not only will living that way put a smile on your face, it will be exactly the very thing and the very harvest that the owner of all you have would want. And it will put a smile on his face, because remember, it's all his and may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.